0: Welcome to episode 53 of Creaky Chair Film Podcasts, the show where we discuss all things film, from classics to obscurities, from films about wolves to films about dogs, from an American werewolf in London to Marley and Me. My name is Michael Brooks. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Bill King and Sam Oliver.
1: Hello, we're back to three. Yeah, Bill's returned from his sojourn into crime fighting. How did yeah, it go? hi. Hi, yeah, it's,
2: it's good to be back. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure what happened. I just woke up in a L.A. holding cell. Covered in honey, screaming, I'm vengeance. Um, Fincher paid the... uh, the the, the bail, um, so release. So, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, sorry for my uh, for my absence, but I'm glad you enjoyed your three hour long drive.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had a real <laughs> we had a real good chin stroking time last week. Was yeah, reality. I'm here to
2: bring the level back down, everyone. Um, yeah, man of the people has returned.
1: It turns out you're the ballast that keeps us, you know, on that even keel from dipping into just ponderous obscurity. You know? <laughs> glad, to, glad to help. Glad to help. Thank you. I'll be using that's no that's good you. words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got an anti an antithesaurus where if I have a big word, I look in that and it tells me the not big word for it.
0: <laughs> this week we are talking about the new Robert Eggers film. Uh, it's uh, his new Viking saga historical drama, The Northman, which is currently in cinemas. So we're going to be talking about that. Before we get to it, let's talk about some news from the last couple of weeks. So first up. Uh, Netflix confirmed that it had lost 200,000 subscribers in the first three months of 2022. But how many subscribers does it expect to lose by the middle of the year?
2: Well, at least one more. (laughs) They shouldn't have cancelled Mindhunter. They should not have cancelled Mindhunter. This is their own fault. (laughs) Like, bring it back. Like, Is It Cake is great. I love it. But, you know, it's not enough to hold me over. Bring back Mindhunter. Um, So how many have they lost again already? They've lost 200,000 in the first three
0: months, and they gave a figure for how many they expect by the end of Q2,
1: quarter two, middle
2: of the year. Uh, Have a guess. 500,000
1: more, and one, for me. I'm going to guess they're projecting to lose, like, $12 Twelve billion, so that when they don't meet that figure, they can be like, "We've exceeded our own expectations." So <laughs> they're setting really the bar, well. it's going... setting the bar really low, so that when they leap over it, they'll be like, "It's all going well to the shareholders." That's my thought. I can see, yeah,
0: you've definitely got some PR thinking going on, but no, they estimate two million Holy they're going to lose by the middle oh. of the year. They are, yeah, so they're
1: blaming people sharing passwords. Uh, so there, you know, Does anybody uh,
2: do that?
1: No. <laughs> That's such a kind <laughs> they, of like such a capitalist excuse to be like, people are just people are not baying everything individually. Me, me, me. Boring. Yeah,
0: so they're testing at the moment paid sharing plans in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. Uh, presumably that is going to come. They also talked about adverts and all that sort of thing. But yeah, I guess this is. I mean, I've not had Netflix now for for some months. Um.
2: And, I mean, I don't know.
0: It, it just seemed to be at the point
2: where I'd, I'd kind of seen everything I wanted to do on it. So hold on, hold on. They're talking about paid sharing plans so and adverts. So it's just going to become like Sky TV. they become the very right thing up. they wanted to destroy. They're like fucking Anakin Skywalker. What are they doing?
1: Yes. Oh God. I feel like the whole idea of ever paying for a subscription service that then shows me adverts is absolute like that. Yeah, I'm not having that. No way. Like no way. I'm paying no I'm paying you for the privilege of not having to look yeah. at any garbage adverts. Like... Listen,
2: listen, if I still consider myself as a child and put myself down in the ch- children's section of my mum and dad's Netflix, that's my own choice as a thirty three year old man. <laughs> they can't take that away from me.
1: Child at heart.
2: As much as my mum and dad want.
1: <laughs> and if you choose to use that children's account to watch Blue is the warmest Collar and The Lighthouse, that's then that is up that to is you. fine. And your parents have okayed that, so that's if okayed
2: those parental controls. It's also ironic given that,
0: um, and this is a very UK-specific comment, uh, but this comes at the same time that the government here are planning on selling off uh, channel four which is a public sector public service broadcaster um because they need to compete with Netflix which apparently has a really great business model.
2: <laughs> I'd hold out boys. Hold out gents. Yeah. You know, maybe wait till the end of the fiscal year then guys because I think there's some cracks appearing.
1: At least wait until the end of Q2. Like come on. Amateurs, amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair I, I say all this realizing that I have a Netflix account but I'm now struggling to think of the last thing I actually watched on there. So Maybe Reruns it, of The Office. I mean, you say that, but reruns of The Office, reruns of It's Always Sunny. Occasionally, a Studio Ghibli film. If I'm feeling adventurous, well, but... it does,
2: it does, I think it's a valid point because I think Netflix has become like the background entertainment for a lot of people. Like, it's not there isn't much stuff on there which is must watch anymore. You know, when you think when it when it was in its heyday, you'd have you'd have some stuff on there that was oh my god, have you seen this on Netflix? Mm. It's not had one of those in a little while. Probably the last thing was Squid Game, but they need to be having more of that. Whereas now it's just, it seems to be just be Comfort Telly, which isn't going to be like, I have to subscribe. I have to see this. I can't live without it. It's just, it's just background E4 winning replates of Friends. (laughs) Also, I
1: think um, Netflix have very much kind of been like, um, oh, people really like true crime. Like, everyone really liked Making a Murderer. How about all the true crime in the world? I swear, like, every other day, there's a brand new, like, John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer and we're <laughs> going to do three episodes about how he was a serial killer. You're like, yep, that's just... Move move on. Move on. We don't need to hear this anymore. Yeah. It's like
2: they're like, oh, Tiger King was a massive success. Let's do like Manatee King. And and they're like, oh, this this isn't playing. Yeah. Um, What are we going to do?
1: They're they're banking all of it on Stranger Things season four, just absolutely pulling them out of that hole, I think.
2: Well, and the Crown, I think, probably as well. Oh, yeah. 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 You're going to have to resubscribe for the Crown, Mitch. I suppose so. Got to see how that ends because (laughs) there's no end in sight.
0: (laughs) I hear all the good stuff still to come. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah uh okay uh second piece of news so which director was excitedly rumored to be premiering a new film at this year's cam film festival
2: i i know this because yeah you've already you've already mentioned this and it broke my heart when it's not true because didn't he didn't he recently come out and say i'm not this is all bollocks yes. and went back to tweeting more haikus <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes david lynch unfortunately
2: yeah, yep. it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, David Lynch, uh,
0: he hasn't released a film since Inland Empire in 2006. And yeah, I don't know how this came about, but there was a lot of speculation. I think the festival director had something to do with it, in which he was very coy when asked about a surprise film that might be a showing. And uh, yeah, so it kind of got out of control on Twitter. Um, but yes, it's not true, unfortunately. So he shot down the rumours saying he has he has no new film coming out. Although, you know... Could it be a big bluff? Because uh, oh, if it's I, a double
2: I, bluff, that'd be great.
0: Well, he also strongly denied uh, a new series of Twin Peaks before that was announced. So it could, you know, he mm-hmm. could be. it could have got out of the bag.
2: What if it's like? What if it's like? I've got no new film coming out. I've got a new trilogy of films coming out. Or oh, he's got a
1: new like um, interactive art exhibition. So it's yeah, it's like he's, he's, he's like it's not yeah. a film. In the traditional sense, but it because yeah. he's just being very pragmatic about it. Maybe it is. I
2: don't know if Lynch doing a three D interactive art. I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, I think that's going to be too much. It'd for be people. such an amazing
1: I think, idea.
2: I, oh, I don't know, man. Do you I want mean, to have that stuff in real I life? I mean,
1: sure, there'd be a lot of people that would probably need some quite intensive therapy after therapy, it. But
2: yeah, it'd be yeah. an
1: experience to talk to a therapist about. So that'd be- you could go inside the radiator. <laughs> Oh, maybe it'll be like a mashup of all of his greatest hits from his other films. So it'll be you cradling the baby from a razor head, as like oh, John as John Merrick shouts radio. at you. No. Perfect. Right. Yeah,
2: you are on a I'm lawnmower. I am not. I am not, not going. I am not going. That burnt toast man comes out. That. <laughs> um, I mean, the aside from that though, the
0: the festival lineup does look quite good. So there is a new film from David Cronenberg, Crimes of the Future. Basil Irman has his Elvis film, which looks quite good. And your favourite, Sam Kelly Reichart has also got a new film called Showing Up. Yes, Kelly.
1: Also, can I just say that That's David strong, yeah. that David Cronenberg title Crimes of the F- Future is one of the worst titles I've ever heard. That sounds like <laughs> an eighties like Jean Claude Van Damme action film. That that isn't that the plot of what's that Tom Cruise film where it's like minority? Yeah, role. and it's... Well, and and
2: the Jean Claude Van Damme film Time Cop.
1: Oh yeah, sorry, I am thinking of the film Time Cop. That's what I'm doing there. <laughs> Um, but I That's guess... what it is.
2: It's a remake. It's a remake with just an older Jean-Claude Van Damme
1: <laughs> well, I mean yeah. sign me sign me up, you know.
2: It could be, you don't know. You don't know with Cronenberg. He could he could be doing that. I, is there is there much known about that film or is, is it... uh, the plot line is something to do with I think it is typically
0: body horror. It sounded very cool. Ballardian anyway, it was like I don't know. Sounded weird.
1: Sounded a, crazy. Body horror version, in. In. A, a body horror version of Time Cup. Tune into episode yeah. 75 where we'll be, where we'll be all <laughs> yeah. talking about how great. And I'll be eating my words about that title. <laughs> okay, let's get stuck into The Northman
0: then. So uh, this is the new historical drama from Robert Eggers. It's his third film, uh, After the Witch in 2015 and The Lighthouse in 2019. It's based on the Nordic legend of Amleth, uh, which is the inspiration for the character of Prince Hamlet. Uh, And that title character, uh, yeah, Amleth, is played by Alexander Skarsgård. The year is AD 895, and the young Amleth witnesses his royal father, played by Ethan Hawke, slain by his brother, Fjolnir, I think is how you pronounce his name, played by Klaus Bang. Uh, And his mother, Nicole Kidman, is taken to be his wife. Uh, and then several years later, Amleth has been raised as a Viking berserker. So he's a, a fierce warrior, and he's fueled by a hateful lust for revenge, which takes him to Iceland to the, to be a slave on the farm where Fiona has fled in exile. Uh, so this film star also stars Anya Taylor Joy, and there are also small roles for Bjork, Willem Dafoe, and even Ralph Innocent gets a cameo. Um, it's it's a film that. Uh, apparently Robert Eggers has wanted to make for a long time, apparently certainly a very big step up for him in terms of budget and production values. There's been some speculation uh, that you may have seen recently about how he's had to cede quite a lot of control to the studio in the post-production stage, which he seems to have confirmed in recent interviews, uh, but has argued that it made for a more entertaining or mainstream audience film, since that's not his natural instinct. So we can obviously discuss that. Uh, in more depth, shortly. Uh, so yeah, we'll try and avoid spoilers, as we usually do, but if you don't want to hear anything about the film, uh, then come back to this episode once you have. And, Phil, let's start with you. What did you think of The Northman?
2: Great Odin's Raven! I, I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a smoky mix of brutal, unflinching historical realism and myth, and and that's like fast becoming, for me, Eggers' um, trademark. Uh, along with obligatory farting, um, which was present in (laughs) correct? I was happy about that. Um, Yeah, the the look of it was absolutely stupendous. Um, I don't think, I don't know where it was filmed exactly, but uh, if it was shot in Iceland, that is just such a beautiful um, part of the world. And I don't know if you can make it look... um, boring but it, it does look like a different planet um and it really transported me to the past there and it, it was just the harsh vistas really screamed how bestial that time was if you know it, it looked like the, the the elements were just working against people it just looked everything just looked like a struggle and it sort of showed, showed how these harsh characters were, were forged um and its story went in ways I didn't expect because I didn't know uh, when I went in that it was based on the the Hamlet legend, you know, the, the legend of Prince Hamlet, um, because I, I thought it was going to be just a straight-up revenge piece. Um, so when he did end up at the farm, and I don't want to spoil anything, but when there was complications arose in his, uh, in his quest for vengeance, I found that quite pleasantly surprising. Um, I also respect how it didn't flinch away from the horrors of the time one early scene involving a viking raid ended up reminding me of come and see um which i think is a brave choice for as we've talked this is uh, this is a more mainstream film for Eggers, and to put that uh, scene in and to not necessarily put it in the hands of the villains uh it, it brought some notes for me and i think i think the entire film did do that uh, especially as it progressed you know the standard stories of oh, uh, you know violence begets more violence and what does revenge lead to and um, the central character does do some horrible things in this and i thought it was it was quite worthy that um they, they were just presenting it as is you know you you, you are with him but pff, you are thinking god some of the choices he's making here it's far beyond beyond the realms of what's what's acceptable um i thought it was it was quite darkly humorous at times um you know there was an early version of hockey which ended up <laughs> in about a bout of just uh, excessive headbutting i'd say um still does um in in some some parts of the world but um yeah i found that quite funny i also really liked um as i've said this mix of um historical realism and and myth. Um, And I think this was conveyed perfectly in a great scene, probably my favourite scene, where Amleth imagines an awesomely badass fight scene against an undead druf to receive receive this sword. He has to win this sword against this undead warrior. Um, And then after his killer final action put down his line, um, the camera, matter-of-factly, just tracks across to show Amleth simply picking the sword up from a dead body um, to, to show that he was essentially a grave robber. And I thought this, this this really encapsulated one of the main film themes for me, which you've got these incredibly harsh, brutal and violent people doing incredibly harsh, brutal, violent things, but they give meaning to their violence through myths and legend. Um, you know, regular things happen. Someone falls from a, a rooftop and, They can imagine that uh, Odin has sent his ravens to rescue them. They can imagine escaping on the back of a horse and imagine it's a Valkyrie flying them into Valhalla. There is all of this stuff. There's a myth and portent. And what it is, is I'm actually just pissed off with you because you killed my dad and I'm going to come and kill you he, he gets all these, these mythical visions and quests and believes he's something more. And he, he sees this tree of destiny that he has to, has to rise up and and climb. And in the end, he is just an incredibly violent murderer, um, who is seeking to incredibly violently murder someone. And I thought that was interesting. And I think that that spoke to something about, um, of this time, people seeking to give their, their meaningless lives meaning. And, um, and I thought that was, that was quite, quite interesting. Um everything otherworldly that happens has a realistic explanation you know which then leads to the standard theme of well was all this violence pointless um and that's the way it left me no matter how grand the culmination was the climax was otherworldly you know the fighting at the gates of hell in the end though it was just two blokes screaming at each other swinging swords because they were pissed off with each other um and and i like that um the cast was great Scarsgard a hulking monster um and he you know he barely had any lines but his sheer physicality and his his just drive was was really powerful um he'd alternate between scary and and likable because he as he was going through all these trials brilliant um i have to say you know there was a great amount of cameos um you know you had willem defoe popping up to (laughs) bark like a dog um i thought ethan hawke was great in the little he had to do um but special mention has to go to nicole kidman who as an actor i blow really hot and cold on i think she's done some good stuff but i think she can be too big for certain films and i thought she would be for this i thought she was cast just to get extra audiences in because she's a big name but she actually did some really cool stuff with her character um especially late on in the third act um and i found her really disturbing and she didn't have loads to do but hers was the performance that um that stayed with me and when i could say that she did more to disturb me than Bjork covered in white peacock feathers screaming. Um, says that Nicole Kidman did a really good job there. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was. It's not obviously. It's not as good as the lighthouse, but um, I thought for for um, Eggers making a foray into bigger budget, more uh, wider audience films. Great, great, and and more. We need more films like this because you Know this will reach a wider audience, and but it's got enough of his weirdness, his stuff he you know, he his strange choices, um, and his themes of you know, toxic, toxic masculinity and, and myth, legends that, um, that it will reach a wider audience. So, yeah, I'm gonna give it four creaks out of four chair legs.
1: Wow, that's a very <laughs> creaky chair, lines. very creaky chair. Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> a really creaky chair, too creaky. Sam,
0: what about you? What do you
1: think? Well. Bill, you've said it beautifully. You've said it really well. Um, So before I launch into my thoughts on The Northman, I'd just like to set the scene as to what happened to me whilst I was watching The Northman. Um, This story will come as no surprise to people that know me and know some of my traits. Um, But as I was watching the film, um, I had uh, one beer, next to me because I thought I'd like to have a beer as I enjoyed the film and um, obviously no spoilers because Michael mentioned it at the very start there but before Ethan Hawke had been killed I'd spilt that entire beer all over myself um, and was really cold damp and also a little bit embarrassed because it was quite a busy screening and as I spilt my beer I went oh for fuck's sake and spent the rest of the film cold and damp and um annoyed and and also thirsty but then that if anything proves two points the first point being, it kind of worked really well to kind of almost like a 4d cinema experience because the bits when like because there was a lot of bits this film where they're cold and wet and miserable and I was like I know what you're going through Alexander Skarsgård like when he jumps when he's branded himself and dives into the water after that boat and he looked really wet and miserable I was like me too Skarsgård me too and also it serves to illustrate the more important point here which is this happened four minutes into the film and there was no point where I thought I'm going to go and deal with this I was like nah I'm 100% in and who cares if I'm cold and wet and thirsty I- I'm not leaving this film for a second and um, obviously as you all know the regular listeners here were big Eggers fans here the lighthouse is something that we that is never far from Our our collective consciousness. So that's, I went into this film with that trepidation, as you do with any kind of new director's film that you hold in high regard, especially something like The Northman that has big cast, big budget, and has that really annoying thing where I've seen a poster advertising it that says, This Generation's Gladiator, which is the laziest way of advertising and reviewing any film ever. But going into this film, almost as soon as it started, I could see those kind of trademark things that I love about Robert Eggers and see those things that made me kind of relax and probably then made me spoil a beer on myself because I was too relaxed at that stage. Um, It's really... Historically accurate sounds like a very boring way to describe something, but that's something that Robert Eggers does really well in The Witch, in The Lighthouse, and now in The Northman. He creates this whole he creates like a, an accurate kind of historical setting for these really exciting dramas to take in from the costume to the setting, to the scenery, right down to the dialogue. You feel like you're immersed in this world. So even though you're sitting there seeing really ripped Alexander Skarsgård and there's Ethan Hawke and there's Willem Dafoe pretty much naked. And here's Bjork and Nicole Kidman, even though there's all these signifiers that it's a big, big, film with a huge budget you still feel like you're in this authentic kind of viking revenge saga um which is so exciting i think it's such an exciting thing for like a director like robert eggers to not only be given the kind of budget and clout to make a film like this but to be able to do it in i know you mentioned at the top there there was he had a couple of issues with the post-production where they maybe tapped down some of his weirdness which Eggers, if that cut is out there of you making it weirder, then please, please, I need to see that <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, but it's such an exciting thing. and such an exciting thing for, I think, cinema in general. Because I think earlier on, one of my favourite films of last year, Nomad Land, directed by Chloe Zhao, um, the next film she did after that was Eternals, which is obviously in the big Marvel machine. And it totally zapped any of her creative control and totally zapped any of her the things that make her a really great and exciting director, things that made me love Nomadland. And whilst Eggers isn't, I don't think, please, isn't going to be part of the Marvel machine anytime soon, there was a worry that like him being given a big budget is going to zap away what makes him a great director. But if anything, this film just explodes everything that makes him a great director, and just it creates this super exciting revenge saga. A lot of the stuff that you said, Bill, I completely agree with. I, as well, didn't know that this was loosely based on the hamlet thing so a lot of the twists and the turns that the story takes i felt completely g'd up and alongside with them not knowing where it was going to go at any point the mix of like that brutal gritty realism combined with the over-the-top fantastical myth stuff was fantastic which i think like you mentioned is such a key part, such a key part of like norse mythology it has this mix of like you mentioned justifying these quite mundane and like regular occurrences and cloaking them in this big fantasy which this film does really well because it cloaks very simple like characters driven by simple ideas and characters driven by simple want so revenge money power sex it those simple things that they're after but it does that in this really cool over-the-top viking fantasy way and um, the Icelandic landscape is much and we've talked about it in similar episodes about like west like classic westerns where I feel like you must turn around in Iceland and just oh there's an incredible vista it feels like it everywhere you look there must be an incredible shot but I thought some of the shots in this are outstanding and especially to kind of see a director like Robert Eggers because the witch and the lighthouse whilst they have incredible shots are very insular and very contained within in one case a lighthouse and one case a, like small forest it's really great to see him burst out onto these huge vistas, this massive widescreen, and to just show those to its fullest extent. Um, yeah, actors were all incredible. Alexander Skarsgård, I feel like, could legit be a Viking warrior. That starting raid scene was incredible. It's done with like one long tracking shot that's just so visceral and so exciting. And it just really drags you into this character so quickly and then starts you kind of like sympathising with him along on his journey. Um, Love, 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 love that Bjork was in this. I feel like every time I even think about Bjork, I get excited. So seeing her as this mystical peacock feather covered witchy figure was incredible. Um, I like that Robert Eggers is once again getting Willem Dafoe as naked as possible in films. I'm, I'm hoping that continues to be a thing in his future films. Um but yeah, this I think the like if I had to critique any part of it, I think there is a potential to kind of say that what you go into the Northman expecting is like a really cool Viking revenge. Film, and you get a very cool Viking revenge film. And whilst there is these little smatterings of like the fantastical and the mythical, it doesn't do much more than that. What you get is incredible, and what you get is amazing. But whereas something like the Lighthouse, where you go into it expecting it to be two men going mad in the lighthouse, then kind of goes off in these new directions that you're like, oh, I didn't going in, I didn't expect it to go here. And the Witch, you know that it's kind of this horrory witchy kind of middle century kind of America sort of thing but it goes off in all these directions that you're not expecting this doesn't necessarily have that as much because you kind of get what you're given but that'd be like complaining that you've been given the most incredible burger ever and you're like oh it wasn't any surprise it was just an incredible burger you've you knew what you were getting and you've got it in the best possible quality um so yeah I think it's a really exciting film and I really like that I just hope that this now encourages people to kind of give a bit more money to exciting, interesting, unique directors to make these films that, as the Northman is proving, because the screening, I went to go see the screening on a Monday evening, and it was pretty full. And like for a film by Robert Eggers to attract that kind of audience and to get advertising on buses and to get bums on seats is super cool. And I just hope that it means that more cool directors are given the chance to kind of go Here's you create your own vision and we will kind of promote it and put actors in it to the level that you need to make it a big movie, but you're not going to kind of have that sucked out of you. Um, so, yeah. And if anyone knows how you go about murdering someone by headbutting them, but not killing yourself, please let me know, because I'm genuinely confused as to how that happens. And I don't I understand. But yeah, I, I'm going to give, I also am going to join Bill on the four creeks out of four chair legs. Which is a rating system, a rating system yeah, I think we need right to work on because it's not quite there. But...
2: Yeah, it's not no, quite no. clear, but yeah. Um, sorry, I head butchered someone too much before I came up with it. I really want to see that. I really want to see Northman again now, but like covered in beer. I want to like just douse myself in a beer and go watch it. Just I feel like you've had a different experience. My, my plan was the next time it. that we
1: all get together, when it's out on a home streaming platform or on a Blu-ray type experience, I'll spray you both in beer before the film and then we'll watch it again. And you'll just, you'll re- sympathize with so much more of what's going on.
2: Thing is, the thing is, I imagine you looked like Skarsgård as you wandered out. Like, you know, you were drenched in mm. beer. You've got a healthy beard there, you know, similar sort of like kind of, washboard abs and you just stalk out covered in beer going oh!
1: i was also farting a lot as well so it really <laughs> really got into the got into the mind also if you want as well i can bite both of your noses off just to that'd really yeah great
2: yeah,
0: great. yeah. yeah just perfect, full 40. perfect um all right well i mean first thing to say i think sam your last point that you ended on about Hopefully, this will, you know, continue to encourage studios to invest these sorts of sums in, in directors like Robert Eggers. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, couldn't, can't agree with that more. Um, I think, in terms of the film, I think the first thing to say is just, you know, as you both said, how great it looks. I mean, the photography and the locations are just really epic. So, so I looked into it. So, it's predominantly in Iceland, but also in and also Northern Ireland as well. Um, so, there you go. Um, I thought, yeah. The, the time and the place, it was so convincingly captured. I mean, it just looks constantly bitterly cold. And, you know, even without being drenched in beer, I was shivering in my seat for a lot of the film.
2: You know, it just always seems it was
0: either snowing or raining or howling wind on a bleak hillside. It was just it was so foreboding. Um, and it captured that muddy and smelly and dangerous, uh, you know, just... That just captured all of that about the time and that immersive Viking world, and you know probably you know as good or better than any Viking film I've seen before. I thought there were plenty of set pieces that work really well. I like the dream like sequences of the the tree of destiny and the the rituals where the people are howling like dogs and the the game of uh, so again uh, look this up uh, and I mean I'm not going to pronounce this right, but it's Natlia I think it is. It's a silent K. It's an old traditional Icelandic ball game. Um, yeah, fancy giving it a whirl? Yes, why not? Well, we need we need a we need a fourth person to make it an even an even sided game. But yeah, I mean, how ferocious did that look? Um, and yeah, Sam, as you said, it's several kind of impressive held tracking shots, in particular that that raid scene. I just thought the music was really excellent. Uh, lots of uh, so it was by Robin Carolan and Sebastian Gainsborough who. Uh, his, his artist's name is Vessel. Um, lots of droning horns and pounding drums. I thought that complemented the setting really effectively. Um, I think, unfortunately, though, I think that's probably where my positivity runs out, and I don't think I chimed with this film as much as you both seem to have done. So, and I think, Sammy, in, in terms of my what well, I kind of was, I really found it hard to, to pin down why I feel this way, and I think having listened to you guys uh, sort of sing the praises of it, I'm equally, I'm, I'm even more now struggling to kind of think, well, what was it about this that I kind of couldn't, didn't quite get with? And I think, Sam, you, you, you hit it there in what you said towards the end where you, you said, you know, what made the, the Witch and The Lighthouse so impressive was the kind of their sense of the uncanny and this sort of like the off-kilter and showing you things in ways that were like, that were kind of entirely new and in, inventive and interesting. And I just thought that by contrast, this felt rather more prosaic. And like you say, you know, yeah, it could be a very tasty burger, I guess. Yeah. But, um, but like, you know, I just thought it was a lot of composite of a lot of other films. Like, so there's a lot of elements of The Revenant in there, 300, come and see, as you as you mentioned, Bill, and lots of influence clearly drawn from uh, Braveheart. Um, and I felt like I'd seen a lot of it before. And with Eggers, I, I was kind of hoping for you know, given those previous two films, something particularly, something just unique and a bit and, and more unusual. You know, I I'd have loved to have seen more of the Willem Dafoe and Bjork characters. I thought they were kind of too just a bit too brief really. And they kind of brought some of those more strange, uncanny elements to it. I thought the pace of the film was also something of an issue for me. I felt that there were times that it kind of was sagging really, particularly once he'd arrived on the Icelandic farm as a slave. I thought at that point it, it was it was really I don't know it was the pace of it was just it was just not quite hitting the right notes for me really and it did it did sporadically pick up and by, but by the end I kind of I was almost clock watching by the end. I was you know unfortunately. Um, I thought the romance between Skarsgård and Taylor Joy lacked any real sparkle or veracity. It felt, again, very, it really did feel quite formulaic. I didn't think there was much there at all to, to, to kind of lend it much dramatic or emotional heft. And I think more than any other historical film for a while, because I think this is always a problem, and um, Bill, you touched on it more. what you were saying, I think I found myself kind of taken out of it to a certain extent by the start. And maybe this is the problem I struggled to get back into it. At the start, I was sort of taken out of it by the famous film star faces. So Ethan Hawke, um, particularly Nor- Nicole Kidman, and particularly when everyone is kind of speaking in this kind of mangled English version of old Norse dialect, which I just did not work for me, especially Nicole Kidman. I just couldn't. It it just, no, it didn't work for me. Uh, Klaus Bang, as an unfamiliar face, as the Fiona, the, the brother, the evil kind of brother, I thought he was much more engrossing as a performer because I didn't know he, who he was. And just with the film set, he just looked the part. You know, he wasn't this kind of, like, great big Hollywood face that I kind of, he you know, as good as, yeah, I mean, I can see, you know, Nicole Kidman did do some interesting stuff and Ethan Hawke was good, but it's kind of like, they're so you know they're so recognisable that in that kind of immersive setting it was a, a little jarring. Um, I think just to close, I think the main problem I think in being like hoisted up the Hollywood pecking order as, as Eggers has now done and given a hefty budget, so I think it was around seventy million for this film, in the aim of making like quote an entertaining Robert Eggers film. I think my overriding impression is that it kind of didn't really know what it was aiming for. It was like it was neither it was neither t- like art house enough or mainstream enough and there was kind of ambiguity. It sort of fell short on both fronts. For me, it wasn't weird or meditative enough to be art house, but at the, you know, the other side, it wasn't unabashedly entertaining and exhilarating enough to kind of be a kind of kind of action action hit. Um, I felt it was, yeah, it was confused. I thought the pacing was confused. I thought the ambience and the mood was confused. I kind of thought the dramatic art was a bit confused as well and the accents were definitely confused. So for me, it was kind of disappointing to be honest, and I really wanted to like it. And I can see all the things that you've said about it that you got out of it, which is frustrating. Um, but like I say, you know, clearly Robert Eggers is like a man of great talent, and this you could see like he was obviously honing a lot of his technical skills on this, and you know, doing a great job. It's just yeah, didn't quite fit into the into the box.
2: Just to defend the accents, if you've been bashed on the head as much as everyone in that film was bashed on the head, <laughs> I think that's how you might sound. So that's that's just one defence there.
1: No, um, so it's it's historical accuracy. Yeah, yeah everyone was concussed,
2: um, suffering from severe concussion twenty four seven. So I think they can get away with that one.
1: I think it is. I think you 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 make a good point that like there is a definite kind of like catch twenty two about these. Like I mentioned, so sort of like cool, interesting directors being given big money to make bigger movies. In that inevitably they do have to kind of kowtow a little bit more to the needs of, oh, we need to have some big faces in this. We need to have some kind of more like advertising clout behind this, etc. So I think I I would be really interested to kind of know the opinion of someone who like doesn't have that kind of like Eggers background. I think we're very much coming from it with this sort of, ooh, we're expecting X, Y and Z because of their previous filmography. But it would be interesting to kind of see does somebody that doesn't have that kind of like expectation, do they view it as too art house or do they view it as kind of like just the right level of like mainstream or well to be honest aspect. i went i, I went
2: with people that didn't have any um knowledge and i didn't mention the lighthouse um to them just because it's a it's a tough film to explain to people that aren't into that sort of film isn't it but um so they went in expecting straight up um you know viking more like the tv mm. show the vikings i think it's called um which is which is just you know brutal violence and whatnot and um and yeah uh, uh, one of them said oh I, w- I just i wish there was more Fighting basically, um, wish mm. it was more more standard, like a you know like a gladiator or something. And the other was was quite surprised by the by the moments, you know those those little moments that come in the the, the dream sequences. So I don't know. I, again, and I think this might be just with Eggers. I do think he is quite a divisive director. You're not going to love it either way. And you know? I, I can quite happily understand how someone might come out of the lighthouse going, "Oh my god, what the hell was that?" But I I, <laughs> I, I just think it's I. I did enjoy it, but I also think it's, it's it's just important, as we've said, in that there's no other director at the moment that's going to be able to um, get a Viking raid on screen that is shot, as well as the best battles in Game of Thrones, but begins with a load of characters ging themselves up by trying to become bears or dogs, and literally acting <laughs> like that, scampering around the floor. And I just think that's wonderful, because I don't know how historically accurate it is, it seems quite historically accurate, because how else would you Convince a load of half-naked blokes to run at a well-defended fort, um, and 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 I love that, and I love that the, at the end of that fight, again, beautifully choreographed fight, as good as, and I think it used a lot of the Game of Thrones um, crew. Uh, I, I, I listened to an interview with Eggers where he talked about it, and it used a lot of the same stunt coordinators and, and second unit for that, and then ends with them just sat there panting like dogs because they're so goddamn knackered after after that bout of adrenaline. And there's no other director at the moment that I think would would do that. Um I think it would either be really sanitized or would go too much the other way. They wouldn't have the budget to be able to stage a full on Viking raid up on the big screen. So yeah, I can I can see what you mean, Mike. And I think that is a totally valid um valid criticism to go that, oh yeah no, it's not one thing nor the other. But I personally it worked for me because I kind of got the best of both worlds and and I do I hope You know, I I don't think it's by any means him at the peak of his powers, but I hope it, like Nolan, pushes him into more power with the studios to go, yeah, I'm going to do a whole scene set in Valhalla uh, with a load of naked. Willem Dafoe's and whatnot um and and whatever he wants to do next I hope I hope this does well and judging by the audience reaction around me I think most people kind of kind of loved it and as as you said that mm-hmm. it was a fairly full screening for I went to see it on a Wednesday night and Orange Wednesdays don't exist anymore do they so um yeah I, I do think that. I do think it, it was it, yeah it was uh it it worked for me that halfway house sort of thing
1: I do feel really sorry for you, Michael, because I think like, I had the same thought when I went in of being like, "I'm going to be so disappointed if I don't love this." And I think, like, I, I, I yeah, I can totally feel your because I, I very much had before I spilt the beer on myself as well. So this is when I was in real good, fine fettle. Um, I did have that thought of being like, oh, "If this isn't great, I'm going to feel more sad than I would do if it wasn't Robert Eggers." It, I think mm-hmm. when you see a film that's by a director that you really like and you've got high expectations or good hopes for, there is that you pump yourself up an extra level than you would do if you just saw a good trailer, you know, you kind of have that next level of like, Oh gosh, I'm really hanging a lot of hope on this.
2: It's always going to be difficult. Second album as well. After, after the lighthouse, isn't it? Like, you know, (laughs) you're not topping that straight away. No chance.
1: No matter how much naked Willem Dafoe you put in. it.
2: Well, not enough. (laughs) No, I'm just farting again, present and correct. Glad there was (laughs) farting and burping. Well, there you go. That
0: is The Northman. It's out in cinemas at the moment. And uh, yeah, go go and watch it, go and support it. Um, And yeah, we will definitely be keeping a close eye on what Robert Eggers does in the years to come. Uh, Let's have a look at what else we've been watching uh, over the last couple of weeks. Bill, what have you been What have you been watching?
2: So after all that angry Viking mead, I fancied settling down with a nice glass of Californian white wine. Um, And I watched Bottle Shock, which is a 2008 film from uh, Randall Miller directed it, starring Alan Rickman, Chris Pine and Bill Pullman. And this is based on the true story of the 1976 blind wine tasting competition which was uh, held by a, a, a smellier named uh, Spurrier between France and Californian wines named The Judgment of Paris. Huh. Um, I didn't know this had happened, um, but I found it very interesting. It's a really The film is a really pleasant, easy on the palate, dry Chardonnay of a film. Um, yeah, so it, it, it stars, you know, you've got a peak snobbish Alan Rickman who uh, plays a uh, British wine snob. And he travels across the Napa Valley, um, tasting wines basically. And um, this was this was before um, Californian wines were sort of on the map. Uh, we we go into like supermarkets now, which is where I buy my one. Um, and you know you can see wines from California, and they're huge. They're huge, and the Napa Valley is is a huge um, wine um, production now. But this was this was a time when um France was the be all and end all basically uh for world wine. It, it basically had a full um monopoly over it. And and this this film talks about how that slowly changed. So you've got um Bill Pullman and Chris Pine as a um dysfunctional father and son team trying to save their crappy orchard. Um Chris Pine's directionless like hippie. Um everything is sun drenched, it's all gently paced, the characters are all perfectly pleasant to be around. It's never hilarious. It's just, well, it's this nice. It's it's like a cheap bottle of Californian wine, really. Um, but yeah, I, I, I genuinely did find it interesting, if you're a fan of Plonk, that it does deal with this wine explosion around, around the globe and you know how how other wines from around the world um, got noticed, which was through this competition. Um, the downsides, it does this thing that bothers me about some films where every single character has to have a backstory or extended arc like just be confident that they're, they're a good supporting character they don't we don't need to know their life story we don't need to see them learn and grow as a character you know it's some these these some of the backstories and extended arts weren't that interesting they weren't required you know it's a just make them a memorable supporting character we don't need a crowbarred in love triangle to to make the film better it just just have have the characters in the background and have them say something funny or witty when needed and then and then leave them i thought this did too much of that also there was a massive overuse of music almost every transition featured a admittedly quite good 70s um californian track but it got a little bit annoying it was like just let the film breathe like a good glass of red wine. Um, but to finish on two massive positives um there's an extended scene where Rickman tentatively tries to eat KFC which really really tickled me. He uh, he acts the hell out of that and also a bit where his um his rental car breaks down and he screams nickers which I really enjoyed. So yeah it's a it's it's a perfect like Sunday afternoon film and if you like it uh, yeah watch it with a glass of wine.
1: I really appreciated Don't how many. It yourself. <laughs> nah, it's too soon. I really appreciated how many um wine references and like plunk based jokes you managed to get into that review. So much so that I've forgotten the name of the film. It sounded like Bottle Rocket, but it wasn't Bottle Rocket. No, it's Bottle Sharp. Right, OK, sorry. <laughs> Two focus. It's, on...
2: Yeah, it's available on Amazon Prime. I was fast farted... and wines are available from your local
1: Tesco. Will I be able to get the wine from the co op?
2: Uh, well, you know, I actually, the wine that's actually featured in the film, um, after I watched it, it's no spoiler to say that that wine did, did very well. And uh, so I looked it up, I was like, oh, I'll try a bottle of this. Um, and it was £67 for a bottle. So I will not be tasting that ever. Wow.
1: Maybe, maybe I'll if... just have to take Alan Rickman's <laughs> word for it. Maybe if we ever, you know, become successful, <laughs> that'll be the, th- the way we'll celebrate with a £67 bottle the, the... of wine. Fingers crossed.
0: Would it make a good double bill with Sideways? Would you
2: think?
1: I was thinking that. I think it really
2: would. Actually, I think I think you'd watch this one first, and then watch Sideways for when things go off the rails when you've had too much wine, um, which which Sideways aptly describes. But it's got yeah, it's very much that look. It's very much that sort of gentle humour, and and yeah, it really does put you in the place of that Napa Valley um, golden golden Ooh. landscape of wine they have there. Sounds very pleasant.
0: Amazing. Well, yeah, we're recording this on a Monday night, which is not.
2: Yeah, sorry, uh, boys. Yeah, sorry, one for every every, a while, every because... night's a, every night's wow.
1: a wine night. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what have you been watching? Uh, I was going to talk about the film Morbius, but it's so trash that it's not genuinely not even worth talking oh, about. What? It's, can we just get? Oh, quick, you must. Can we get a quick? It's, it, quick uh, you know, I, it's it's genuinely so trash that it's, there's it's not even worth talking about. It's not even like good bad. It's just bad. It's to, to sum it up briefly. It's basically like. Do you know that classic idea of like, oh, we fed a machine all of the scripts from Downton Abbey and it wrote an episode sort of thing? This is basically that, but with a Marvel origin movie. It's just like they fed a computer all of the scripts for every Marvel film and went, the computer has now written a Marvel origin movie. It's, it's genuinely not worth your time at all. It's so bad. It's not even worth talking about in an amusing manner. Although it is really funny that Jared Harris is in it, who is like, why are you here, Jared Harris? You've made so many great decisions in your career. Why are you in Morbius anyway? So, with Morbius... That's a first, though. I think this is a
2: first for Creaky Chair, where a film's been so bad... You you, you even about talked it. about that
1: film that you watched on like <laughs> we spent an hour talking about the ice. Right? Yeah, and you talked about that film that you watched on like great movies, action or something that had Stephen Sagan, in You didn't even. Yeah, finish. I talked
2: about that. that gave me a full on migraine, and I I talked about it. You,
1: this is you didn't even finish watching. <laughs> no. it. it's it's just genuinely so like it's a pointless it's a pointless Goodness endeavor, me. a pointless endeavor. But Goodness I didn't pay me. for the cinema wow. ticket, so. And I didn't spill any beer on myself. I was
2: going to ask that.
1: I didn't yeah. spill any beer on myself. Did, did Jared Harris pay for it? Did Jared no, Jared Harris... Leto actually. He uh... <laughs> did. He
2: did, did. Jared so was Leto like, "Please,
1: the please, <laughs> please!" It's so crap. Bless him, you can't catch a oh, break. Poor guy. Anyway, so the film I do want to talk about is another 2022 release that kind of falls into a similar-ish category to Bottle Shark, and that is the um, film The Lost City. Starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Um, so, do you remember a couple of episodes ago when I didn't, I wasn't able to go and see Nightmare Alley. So instead, I covered another god awful 2022 film, Uncharted. The Lost City is basically the film that Uncharted should have been. The, the The Lost City is a better Uncharted type movie than the actual movie that was called Uncharted. Like The Lost City is a really genuinely great, like rollicking jungle adventure archaeology kind of movie starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. It's an absolute delight. It's directed by two directors I've not heard of before um, Adam and Aaron Nee who as far as I can tell have done pretty much sod all before being given the reins to this super fun blockbuster that stars Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe and Brad Pitt which is kind of wild but I don't know maybe they owed Sandra Bullock a favour or maybe she owed them a favour or something don't know. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of fun. So the synopsis as it stands is a reclusive romance novelist who's played by Sandra Bullock on a book tour for what she thinks is going to be her last romantic slash adventure novel um, with her cover model, who's played excellently by Channing Tatum, gets swept up in a kidnapping attempt orchestrated by Daniel Radcliffe that lands them both in a cutthroat jungle adventure. I mean, the plot as it stands doesn't really serve much purpose, you kind of know what's going to happen. It's Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum having a fun time, slowly falling in love in the jungle. This film does exactly kind of what you wanted to do. It's that fun kind of rollicking kind of adventure. There's some nice moments of romance, there's some nice moments of intrigue, there's some genuinely funny moments and a really great and exciting supporting cast. Um, Brad Pitt is genuinely incredible in it and it's also insane to think That Brad Pitt is so attractive and so handsome that there's a scene where he's standing next to Channing Tatum, who is, I think, we'll all agree, a very attractive and handsome man. And Brad Pitt manages to make Channing Tatum look like a homely man, like the kind of person you'd bump into Weatherspoon. You know, (laughs) it's it's insane. Like he's and the whole like Brad Pitt's character in this film, he plays a um, really great, um, like action movie star called Jack Trainer, who comes in to save the day and rescue Sandra Bullock. So he's they amp up the sort of like over the top. He's got beautiful long hair and is like a proper action hero kind of thing. But even then it's ludicrous. Ludicrous how good looking he is. Um, it's just crazy. So go and see it for that alone I guess. Um, but yeah the chemistry between Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum is great. They're both two actors I think who really know kind of what people want from them. I think they are both really in this movie, they kind of need to put themselves into like silly situations, and not take themselves too, too, not take themselves too seriously. And they both do that with utter aplomb. I mean, you kind of expect it from an actor like Sandra Bullock, who's been in films like *Miss Congeniality*, and Channing Tatum, who is bringing that kind of twenty-one and twenty-two *Jump Street* energy here. Um, Daniel Radcliffe is a really good kind of like posh British villain, which is exactly the role he needs to play to be fair. Everyone in this movie plays exactly and beautifully the role they need to play. And um, the setting is fun. It's in like a big jungle. There's lots of like really good bad guys and really good, good guys as well. And then he said that the wrong way around the wrong way round. Oh my gosh. I feel like I've been quietly sipping wine while this has been recording. That's why I'm so um, all over the place. Um, but yeah, it's, a really good Friday night with a bottle of wine kind of movie. It's just, he knows exactly what you're getting. It's that classic sort of, you know, the the rom-com thing where you could sit there and nitpick about it and you could kind of pull it apart a little bit and say, oh, well, this felt a bit chucked in and this wasn't developed as well as it was. And why is this character doing this? Yadda, 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 yadda. You could sit there and be a real frowny biscuit about it, but that's not the point. You're supposed to just sit there and have a really fun time with these beautiful people doing fun things in a jungle. And uh, that's exactly what happened. And I did drink half a bottle of wine while watching it that I didn't spill on myself. So that probably only enhanced my experience. Um, Yeah, so I'd recommend actually going to the cinema and watching The Northman and then going and having a bottle of wine and then watching The Lost City. I think it'd be a really good keep your local cinema going double bill because then you'll have like a really t- like, a tough time with the last- with the Northmen and then a lovely time just enjoying The Lost City and having a laugh. So, yeah, there you go. Support your local cinema and watch two films back-to-back like you've not got a social life, like I haven't. Thank you.
0: Wow, there we go. Well, that sounds really good. Very big ringing endorsement. So that is still out in cinemas? It was last
1: time I checked. Um, right. Oh, sorry. I'm just looking at Sandra Bullock's IMDb, and she's like Speed. She was great in Gravity. (laughs) Miscon. Oh, uh, even even she's in Demolition Man. Even Bird Box, that I thought was rubbish, she was really good in. Oh, Sandra Bullock.
2: She brings the goods. (laughs) Well, that's the thing.
1: You get Bullock, you get Tatum, you get Pitt. You know what you're getting, and you're gonna get a good time.
2: Uh, You're gonna get. Yeah, you get sparks are gonna fly, aren't they?
1: Apart from Ocean's Eight, which is a god awful trash film.
2: Oh yes. Anyway.
1: (laughs)
0: right uh well i watched uh over the last couple of weeks um i i watched the film antichrist uh, by lars von trier 2009 the first It's the first of his depression trilogy uh which he would which would also include melancholia and uh, nymphomaniac it's a very strange experimental art house sort of horror psychodrama it's very hard to really nail this one down um which for the most part features only two characters, husband and wife, played by Willem Dafoe, again, on the the podcast, and Charlotte Gainsbourg. And they play a couple who are plunged into grief and depression following the accidental death of their young son. And Dafoe's character is a therapist, so he takes it upon himself to try and treat Gainsbourg himself as she's suffering from this kind of real acute grief. Uh, And as part of the therapy, they travel to an isolated cabin in the woods uh, to try and sort of conquer her fears. Uh, But things gradually take a more sinister and violent turn, including some rather excruciating genital violence. Um, Hmm. So I I really wanted to, this has been on my rewatch list for a long while. So the first time I saw this was probably at least 10 years ago. Um, and I don't think I'd seen any Von Trier films before and I, I really hated it. Um, and I think because I was sort of expecting it to be this kind of horror film. Um, I just, I remember thinking it was just, it was a film that really made me quite angry actually. I thought it was just quite pointlessly provocative and just designed to incite anger, which to a certain extent all of our, uh, Lars Von Trier films are. Um, I think subsequently since I've become a, a, like a more of a fan of his work and I've watched most of his films. I thought it was about time that I rewatched it to see whether my previous reaction would hold up, and and it and it didn't. You know, it it, it really didn't. I could see it for the the challenging and well achieved film that it is uh, a second time around. So, you know, like all of his films, it's it's very rich with allusions and and allegories. So it's it's theological and it's it's philosophical. Um, it kind of sets out to challenge the romantic attachment to nature and the wilderness. So, you know, instead it kind of uses this this phrase, like, nature is Satan's church. And there's, like, lots of elements, like, acorns are kind of constantly raining down noisily on the roof of their cabin, and there's sequences that involve, like, disemboweled animals. Um, and at one point, Willem Defoe wakes up with his hand covered in these horrible ticks. And it's just the kind of that, you know, when you sort of come across something, if you're out on a walk and you're in the countryside and you're kind of maybe come across something like a dead animal or something, or something really nasty, and it sort of shocks you, the sort of visceral kind of like, ugh, of, of, of nature, you know, unabashed nature. Um, so it's kind of exploring that, that idea and kind of, that of how like, rather, be, rather than being sort of constantly picturesque and beautiful from this human perspective, you know, nature is actually characterized by like a fight for survival, by chaos and by violence. So it's very interesting from that point of view. Uh it's also it's dedicated to Andrei Tarkovsky, and who's a you know, probably my favourite uh filmmaker, and his influence is all over this film stylistically. I mean not thematically, but uh, really. But um there's no genital mutilation in Tarkovsky's films. No, no, no. <laughs> um but you know, it's style, there's lots of gorgeous stately shots and meditative imagery, and it's it's very beautiful at times. But but you know, it is a it's a harsh and powerful study of grief and of pain. Um and it's you know, it's like don't look now set in the woods with more graphic bodily violence. Um so yeah, if it's not for the faint of heart, um, but it's it's got two consummate actors really playing their playing their parts to perfection and a filmmaker who's got a really singular vision, uh and yeah, you might watch it and be like me first time around and think, Oh, well the hell? you know, this is just this angers me, or you might have my reaction. the Second time around, I think this is a a very very well achieved film, doing what it sets out to do very very well. So that's Antichrist, and you can find this. So I own this on DVD, but you can find it to rent uh, on Apple TV or YouTube or Chili or Curzon. Does that have a talking fox in it that
2: like shouts at Will and his the al-
0: Yeah, yes, really uh, uh, yells yeah, right? like chaos
2: reigns. Nice. That's what I want from a film. That's what I want from a film. Wow. Yeah.
1: I must admit, this is Antichrist is one of those films that I, I wouldn't say keen to watch, but I I am keen to watch it. But have avoided it for years just because I I don't know if I'll ever be strong enough to watch it. Like when we were talking about films on that um like most uncomfortable, disturbing movies episode we did quite a way back now. This just fit. I know that this is going to. Tick hit all those buttons for me, and I'd feel like every time I think about watching it, I'm just like, uh, I'm not, not not there. Also, I've got to say, Michael, I love again how on brand this is that Bill and I are like, yeah. Here's a film about wine, here's a film about Sandra Bullock, and you're like, here's this dreadful piece about grief and depression.
2: We come <laughs> we come out of the Northmen just thinking, Yeah, I think that's enough um senseless violence and harsh, harsh loss. Michael's like, No, no, Chaos Reigns!
1: <laughs> Michael hasn't suffered enough. He's like, nope. I need to feel yeah. something really, really pure.
0: It's something. I mean, it certainly it is. It is disturbing in the sense, You know, in a sense. I mean, maybe not the flu. You know, I mean, it depends who you are, of course. But um, I think compared to the films that we talked about on our Disturbing Episodes podcast, way back, I think it's like episode number seven. Uh, it's yeah, you know, it's it's not quite there, but it's definitely one of the more squeamish <laughs> films. It's definitely there's a lot of squinting uh, required. I would it's say. definitely
1: not the kind of film you want to watch, you know, and worry that someone's going to walk in and be like, "What on earth are you watching?" Yeah, watch it when you've got a night to yourself. If I'm if I'm feeling brave enough. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, we we've been played with uh, with technical issues on this podcast, but we've uh, we've rescued it from what looked like absolute disaster uh, and so yes we're going to bring this to bring this to a close now before anything goes wrong and uh yeah thank you very much indeed for listening we're going to be watching the new action comedy film from tom gormican the unbearable weight of massive talent uh starring nicholas cage as nicholas cage so what more could you want to rule you in uh so let's find out what we think about that film in a couple of weeks time thank you bill thank you sam we got there in the end Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast. If you like what you heard, it'd mean
1: the world to us if you told someone about the show. Tell them about it even if you hated it. Or even if you just felt really apathetic about it. Yeah, there's no such thing as bad press.
2: If you can leave us a review on wherever you're listening, that'd be amazing.
1: And don't forget, we're on all of the social media things. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter,
0: MySpace, Bebo, MSN Messenger.
2: And
1: that's at Pod
2: on Instagram and at Creaky Chair on Twitter.
1: And if you search CreakyChair Chair Film Podcast on Facebook, you'll find us there too. You can even email us at
0: CreekyChairFilmPodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us your essay about how much we were well out of order with The Ice Road.